0: And register for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon at EveryWoman'sMarathon.com.
1: I think we can all agree the current political moment is fraught. But how does it compare to the other fraught political moments in history? It felt for a time, in part of that decade, like everything was falling apart. Young people against old people, anti-war violence, peace movement. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and this week, presidential historian. Doris Kearns Goodwin joins me on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet. We talk about difficult times in America's history and how its
0: people overcame them. The episode is out now. Search and follow Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I'm Evan Ratliff of Atavist. I'm here with Max Linsky and Aaron Lammer of Longform.
0: Hello, gentlemen. Great intro. Yeah, awesome intro. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Thanks. Who do we have this week, Aaron? Uh, Keith Gessen. Keith is the, one of the founding editors of N Plus One. He's also written a bunch of features for The New Yorker and a lot of reviews, and he's a, he's a super nice guy, actually. Um, I really liked hanging out with him. I'd, I'd have him back. Which would not be hard because their office is on our floor. That is also true. Um, We got a sponsor this week. It's Tiny Letter, a simple but powerful way to send an email newsletter from the good people at MailChimp. Thank you, guys. Let's do it. Uh, Hello, Keith Gessen. Welcome to Longform Podcast. Thanks for having me. This is a very special podcast in that it's the uh, first podcast that's happened entirely on the floor where our office is. Uh, Keith uh, works at N Plus One, who are our uh, floor mates here on Dumbo, Brooklyn.
1: Yeah, I just had to walk down the hall. I got lost. Yeah. It's a bit of a maze.
0: Well, the numbers aren't... Uh, they're not linear in sequence, the numbers on this floor. That's right. When did When did you guys move in here?
1: We moved in here 2008, so... Five years ago, almost.
0: Five years ago. What was the climate in the building like uh, when you first arrived? When
1: this floor was just, uh, there was nothing. There were no walls. It was just one big open space. And uh, Jacob, the landlord, he kind of walked us around the space a bit. And he was like, how about this corner? And we, we, we were like, okay, that's a good corner. And then he uh, literally just paced off with his feet. He just measured it off with his feet. And he said, oh, that's, you know, 700 square feet. That'll be (laughs) $1,800. That
0: was, that's how we got the space. So a lot of times when I have someone on the podcast, I like literally know nothing about them. Like, you know, there are certain people who are writing out there who you couldn't find a single scrap of biographical uh, information about them on the internet. And you're someone who, we have an intern who like gives me like a dossier on people before they come in. You got, you've got, we've, we've got a lot of information about you. Great. There's a lot of information available about you online, but mostly not from, um, not in a gossipy way. You've written about your own life and you've written about the life of, of being a writer. I know that you, um, moved to New York city when you graduated from Harvard and were living with a wife at the time, and um, ended up moving to Boston. I know I, I know a fair amount sort of about your story. Um, I, I don't necessarily want to uh, drag you through uh, your entire early twenties uh, chronologically, but but what were you thinking when you when you arrived as a twenty two year old? What 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 uh, dreams did you bring to New York City?
1: Oh, you know, um, I did go to Harvard. I managed to go there and not uh really learn anything about uh becoming a professional anything um including how to become a professional writer yeah um and and you know it's kind of amazing in retrospect but cuz you 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 can go through Harvard and and really kind of emerge on the other side with a job at the New York Times or a Job at the New Yorker uh, mm-hmm. as an assistant or a, a fact-checking job at the New Yorker. Um, people do that, and I managed not to do that.
0: Um, was this like a like bongs and hacky sack kind of thing, or like what 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 else were you up? To? Uh, I was I was uh, I played football mm.
1: um, for a couple of years, so that so I was uh, I was playing a lot of football. Yeah, I am um, familiar with the sport. Yeah, and uh, that was so that so that was a, a bit more of my social circle. Yeah, uh, at school, and um, and also I had, I think I had a lot of. Uh, I guess it was my feeling that a real writer does not actually hang out with other writers.
0: So at that point, you wanted to be a real writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yes. What well, <laughs> like I what
0: what was your model of like a real writer at like twenty one?
1: Uh, you know uh, Hemingway and and yeah. and Faulkner. That was yeah. that was so. Um, you know, and those guys. Uh, well, you know, now I know that Hemingway hung out with all sorts of writers. Yeah. Right? But at the time, I thought of Hemingway as a guy who, you know, went to the woods and and hunted and and then went off to the war.
0: Occasionally right? punched someone. And occasionally punched. But not or was punched only 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 non writers. Um, right. So you. You, you arrived in New York, and um, you've documented pretty extensively in this essay. Um, for people who are listening, there's an essay called uh, Money that was published in N Plus One in, I believe, 2006, 2007, mm-hmm. um, about sort of— uh, It's really like a, a, a resume, in a way, with um, salary attached to, uh, of the writing jobs that you held and survived on through your 20s. Um, you, you reviewed extensively— Mm hmm. What had it like as a um, as someone who hadn't really considered the um, possibilities of actually becoming a writer and trying to earn a living? Wh- what were those first few reviews like?
1: Oh, um, OK. I mean, to go back a bit. So, you know, I yeah. moved to I moved to New York. I didn't know um, how one went about being a writer. And I and I um, just basically I was like, well, if I uh, keep my expenses down, that will be my my best shot at it. And a friend of mine, who's still a good friend, uh, Matvey Inkelevich, who uh, runs Ugly Duckling Press. Um, poet. He, he's a poet, yep, and a publisher. And he was just leaving his apartment in Queens. So uh, we took over his apartment mm-hmm. at a nice, I think the rent was $714 for a one-bedroom apartment. So, um, And I got a temp job at uh, Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter. Mm-hmm. Um, as a, I was doing PowerPoint slides. So I I, I think uh, the temp agency gave me a class for a week that taught me PowerPoint. So I would go in there um, two days a week and that was enough to pay our rent. Uh, going in there two days a week was basically enough to pay our rent and, and have food and we had a very tight budget of yeah. like $100 a week. And um, And then I was writing uh short stories and um yeah I spent the whole year writing short stories and I would kinda send them out. I sent one to uh The Baffler. Oh yeah. Um it was in nineteen ninety eight and I still haven't heard back. <laughs> but uh
0: so yeah, you still got time. I got time, yeah. I'm <laughs> optimistic I'm optimistic. <laughs> uh,
1: and and then um I started reviewing actually uh after a year of this I moved up we moved up to Boston and i was i got a job as an usher at the kendall cinema in uh in cambridge so that was not a very well-paying job um and i started reviewing for a place called feed which was part of the first uh, dot-com boom and uh it's amazing to think of now this was a place that paid Fifty cents
0: a word. All of our listeners are going to want a time machine back to this. Yes, uh,
1: fifty cents a word, um, and you could, you know, you could go. And on this is nineteen nineteen ninety
0: nine dollars. Nineteen ninety nine. That's right. That's right. I went,
1: well, no, I mean, this is, that's this right. Is,
0: this is when a Coke was fifty cents. Um,
1: uh, when an apartment was, you know, eight hundred dollars. Yeah. So um, that's like twice as. It's like a dollar word now. I mean, literally,
0: right? Well, in New York, I mean, you know, there's all these things. Well. You've written about education, which is probably inflated the most. But New York itself is just has this unbelievable growing in every way. It's in real estate. It's in the cost of everything. I mean, we're actually growing faster than the rest of the country. We're uh, economically breaking off the rest of the country in terms of cost of living. Um,
1: yeah, and and meanwhile, I mean, I was looking at at you know a, a place that I wrote for a bit uh, about ten years ago was Slate yeah um which used to pay reasonable um fees and i think now pays less uh the times pays less i mean this is it's scary i think i mean there's wage there's wage uh deflation
0: yeah um, absolutely in the writing business
1: yeah so um, um
0: so you you uh you you were working at at a, as an usher at a theater in queens and you were doing doing reviews mm-hmm. at, at what point did you start feeling like eh, i'm a I'm a real writer like uh, i'm really doing it here like what, when when did you turn the corner to the point where you felt like this was really a, a profession uh,
1: i guess when i when i felt like um well i you know in a way pretty early on because I was started writing for feed and I, I quit my job as an usher because I was basically able to pay our rent by writing these pieces for feed. And again, you know, our expenses were super low. Um, but, uh, yeah, I made, I don't know, I made $25,000 that year writing for feed and that was
0: enough. Good times. Yeah. Um, you've written pretty extensively, um, about, the book industry, actually, a, as a, a capitalistic force, and um, the economics of being a writer—what what draws that to you as a subject matter?
1: Well, I think there's a, there's a couple of things. I mean, one is that
0: writing is one of these
1: things that is sort of mystified, right, yeah. by um, our our system where you are supposed to think of the writer as existing in some kind of um, space that's outside of the market or outside of capitalism Mm -hmm. um, and being inspired, Yes. Uh, whereas in fact, you know, these are people who are subject to the very same forces uh, as everyone else. So that's one. Um, The other thing is, I am interested, I'm very interested in these questions of who has money, who doesn't. Why this is um who set this up this way, uh and it just so happens to be that the writing business is the one that I know the most about i don't it's not that I think writers are more interesting than other people I don't, but um i it has ha- a case study, yeah, it happens sure. to be the one that I have a lot of information about
0: when you when you've reported in Russia. Uh, you were born in Russia, yes. Yes, yes. Um, what is your reporter persona going to Russia and, and writing stories? Are you? Uh, um, do you see yourself as an alien, uh, a native? What, what kind of a what kind of an attitude do you bring when you uh, when you're working in Russia?
1: Oh, uh, I feel myself very much a native. I oh, mean, okay. I become native very quickly. I, I have a lot of family mm-hmm. in Moscow, so I have two grandmothers and a sister and mm-hmm. aunts and uncles. So, um. You know, when I'm writing about Russia, I'm I'm writing about things that affect my family. Right. Um, I have more family in Russia than I do in America. Mm. So, so um, I I don't think of myself as uh, a, a foreigner. I I do think that you know um, the people that I'm interacting with think of me as a foreigner. Right. So um, they just just you know for various reasons, uh, uh, and and in a way that that gives me a a bit of an advantage because sure. um they think I'm dumber than I
0: am. Does does the fact that you're writing say for the New Yorker or an American magazine um make you make it more okay to talk to you because it's not being published within the Russian press?
1: Yeah. yeah. That's right. Um they don't really know what the New Yorker is and and a lot of them end up not reading the stuff. So, in a way I'm I'm a bit I have a a kind of freer hand. Yeah. I've had a few, you know, the few situations where I've had reactions to my stuff in Russia have been really unpleasant. Really? Uh, profoundly. I mean, um, after I published an article in The New Yorker about uh, the fact that uh, the city of Moscow could not solve its traffic crisis, yep. there was actually a kind of amazing attack on me in the um, newspaper uh put out by the mayor's office hmm. and it was you know it it said things like even Gessin's colleagues um don't understand why he hates Russia so much. <laughs> uh, and it was clear that they had not talked to any of my colleagues.
0: It was just something that, There's a know, Chad Harbaugh quote there. About right, Yes, right, right, right.
1: <laughs> Keith really hates uh, Russia. <laughs> he, no. said he talks about <laughs> it in the
0: office all the time.
1: <laughs> uh, it was amazing. And then, and then, you know, and they were like, well, what, what would, what would uh, the U.S. think of a Russian journalist who came over to New York, yeah. you know, and criticized their mayor? <laughs> you know, what would they think of that? They they would probably deny him a visa next time he applied for a visa. Yeah, and of course the answer is you know uh, an Americ the the you know the Bloomberg administration would probably not read yeah. something that was written in the Russian press. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, but you, there was a kind of veiled threat that I would not get a visa, um, which which I thought was which was kind of upsetting. So you're not
0: like a, you're not a citizen. No, I got to go get a visa every time. Yeah. So if you were to piss off the regime enough, regime is probably unfair um, or not. uh, You could, you could be barred from, from writing in Russia.
1: Yeah. And that does happen to, that does happen to journalists. I mean, um, that's, I mean, it's kind of the worst thing that can happen to a foreign journalist is you don't have a lot of foreign journalists getting beaten up. Right. um, Although it does happen. Um, But you do have a, once in a while, they do get uh, kicked out of Russia. I had a situation where I, I uh, was briefly arrested, and um, and they were like, "Wow, you you, you might get you know deported." Yeah. And I was like, "Wow, boohoo!" Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Who, who's paying for that flight? <laughs> yeah, it's no, weird. I mean, it's, you know, d- you, you, when you're in Russia, you're like, "Oh, they're going to kick me out of this um, very unpleasant, <laughs> uh, violent country." I, you know, I, I'll probably get over it. But 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 actually, it would be a real bummer if if i couldn't ever go there and yeah. visit my grandmothers sure, for example sure.
0: so um well it would also be you know unfortunate as a writer i mean i feel like you you know writing about russia is a it's a unique project for you that you do have certain advantages in you have a certain history that you're able to bring to it and there aren't you know there aren't 500 americans who who can write well about russia simply you know because of their backgrounds there there is sort of a limited pool and that you know it wouldn't be hard. Russia could uh, could cut off most of the high quality journalism about that's you know, published in America by just banning like a you know half dozen people. So
1: it's yeah, and and um, yeah, they might they might like to do that. Yeah, yeah. that might that um, might be on the agenda. You know, I didn't start out thinking I was going to be a writer who wrote about Russia a sure. lot. Um, and in a way, as a when I was really young, I kind of fled that. Mm-hmm. subject. I really wanted to be an American
0: writer. Did you grow up like uh, did you grow up in like a Russian American culture or were you, you...
1: I grew up yeah I grew up in, in a place called Newton outside of outside of Boston um, and all my parents friends were Russians. My parents didn't have any American friends mm-hmm. and so I, and I was a lot of my friends growing up were the children of um, of these uh, of Russians so yeah we were um, I had a lot of Russian friends growing up um,
0: but you that was not sort of something you wanted to pursue as a writer was this sort of a uh, Russian Americanness.
1: Right. Um yeah. it wasn't and uh yeah it was it was sort of in my in my 20s as I kind of um started you know uh getting on my feet as a writer mm-hmm. and um you know I was writing about both things and I and I still write about America also but sure. but um I just found that I could get really interested, um, and, you know, remain interested thinking about this Russian stuff, mm-hmm. um, and that it was something that I knew about that other people didn't know about, um, and I just, I, I found it very satisfying, yeah. um, and I still do, and, and, and I, I anticipate a, a moment where I, I will stop, but.
0: Well, it sort of draws a thread to some of the conversation we were having about nonfiction and fiction, which is, in order to distill your ideas about fiction, there is some like yeah, you write about things you know about, write about the world that you're from, and that is a unique part of your world. Is having access to Russia and having you know that that is unique in its own way. Um, let's let's sort of uh, zoom ahead here, if we if we can. Um, a lot of people who are listening probably uh, know you primarily as one of the founders of N Plus um, One, which, as previously discussed, um, has an office on this floor. N Plus One was founded in what year? Uh,
1: 2004. 2004.
0: 2004. Um, on kind of a shoestring, basically four guys throwing in a couple grand a piece and starting a magazine for a total of $8,000. So this was coming out of a period of your life where you were getting a little work writing, doing reviews and publishing occasionally. What, what made you say like, oh, I'm, I'm going to like start a magazine?
1: oh um yeah there was a there was a, a bunch of us who were all publishing book reviews basically, mm-hmm. and um that was fine, yeah and yet we felt we could do more yes uh and there was you know we were especially when you're doing book reviews, it's like you're either doing one you're kind of either writing very literary stuff or you're writing political stuff or maybe you're writing literary stuff for political publication. I think a lot of us were in the position of um, writing book reviews for The Nation, for Dissent. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were kind of like the literary guys at The Nation or Dissent, these political magazines. Um, And the stuff that we really liked to read uh, was stuff that combined these things. So um, that was both political and literary a- and um, so we, we we just thought there was more ambitious writing that we wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and we you know we li- we literally had the experience of writing things that weren't getting published. Um,
0: well, give me like what 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 kind of stuff were you writing that didn't? What was the void? The void. Uh, so you
1: know, uh, I think the best example is Mark Greif was writing these pieces that were this combination of kind of um, philosophy and something academic, kind of literary criticism, and contemporary politics. And he just was able to combine these things in in ways that I thought were very interesting and I still find very interesting. Um, And there was just no place for them. So um, in the first issue of N Plus One, there's an essay called uh, Mogadishu, Baghdad, Troy, uh, which looks at american warfare in um somalia in the mogadishu and the way it's described in the book black hawk down and compares this to the way uh the trojan war was described by homer Mm. and finds that in fact these things are have a lot in common um the action is described in uh, very similar ways by mark bowden and by homer (laughs) um but the difference is that in Homer you have two sides, and in Black Hawk down you have only one side you only see the American side and the other side does not exist except to be slaughtered and and uh this is a really profound observation sure. and and it's arrived at through these various uh, ways and it's written in a i you know very exciting prose um,
0: there was no there was no place for this sure um in Two thousand four. Do you think the climate has improved for a piece like that, or, or gotten worse? Um, I think it's improved. Yeah, we're we going on what eight eight or nine years now. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it bears some mention um, for people who have always lived in the age of the internet that there there wasn't nearly as much web publishing at this at that point. There weren't there wasn't actually the diversity of publications then that, that exists now. N plus one at least as I encountered it uh, was notable because it was a sort of an upstart uh, new thing in in a climate where there weren't a lot of new things. There was things closing, but not a lot of things opening. What was that like for you personally?
1: Yeah, it's a lot of places had closed. Um, uh, The baffler had closed a place called Hermanot, which Mm -hmm. uh, we had really uh, read and liked a lot in the nineties had closed. Lingua Franca had closed. Um, And then the partisan review died and the only thing that had opened was mcsweeney's right and uh, mcsweeney's was was very exciting and yet we felt like they were doing everything wrong yeah uh in the way that you something that you're very sympathetic to but is a little bit different from what you wanted yeah Uh, you feel like they're doing everything wrong so um yeah starting the magazine was 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 amazing it was you know, I'd spent, uh, I guess, at that point, I'd been out of school for six or seven years. Yeah. Um, and that entire time, I was trying to write and was basically sitting in a room. Um, I'd gone to grad school, which, you know, you, you, you have to socialize a bit in grad school, but not really. You're really supposed to kind of go home and write all the time. Um, and it kind of got me out of the house, uh, starting N plus one. Yeah. And 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 it turned out there was this just uh a lot of enthusiasm for it. And you know, at the time, I guess things have changed now and I have no idea really whether they've <laughs> changed, but but at the time, um you know, it felt like if you went to a party, it was like a lot of I don't know, fashion people or art people. Everybody was yep. really a lot of good-looking people. yeah, And it was... It didn't seem... And then you went to a literary party and it was always kind of stuffy and and boring. And uh, we wanted literary people to have a bit more fun. And that was something that in the first few years we were able to do.
0: We got a public urination ticket outside a N plus one party.
1: That's the sort of party that, uh, that we used to. And it,
0: I nearly went to jail for it actually. I'm sorry. i I'm not, sorry I didn't to hear pay, that. I didn't pay it. And then I, uh, I got a summons. So I wanted to get, and I, I like just remembered the summons, like the day it was happening. And I went in there and it was like entirely me and um, black car drivers who had picked up like, um, fares that that flagged them. So it was like the same plea, same plea, same plea. And then the public urination plea came up. And I tried to be like fake, like lawyerly, just like a dick. And it just like, it fell so flat. Like I've never, I've never been like as tonally off as that public urination summons. I really thought I was going to like really impress the judge and be witty. He was having none of it. Just everyone else getting their fine reduced. Like if you show up, your fine gets cut in half, pay the full fine. Well, I'm sorry about that. I don't but, blame you personally. But, you know, you th- but like, yes, you, 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 th- you threw a good party. We threw um, a good party.
1: We would we, try. We tried to have make sure there were at least two bathrooms. But you know, you have three hundred, four hundred people. That's you need more bathrooms than that. And some pe- people go on the street and they get arrested.
0: You, I mean, you also, and you should have touched on this lightly with McSweeney's, but. There was also a certain uh, uh, climate in the air of N plus one kind of starting some some literary fights, kind of uh, calling calling people out and, and um, uh, being open about talking uh, critically, not about uh, literary issues, but about other magazines and about writers. W- was that a was that a strategy from the beginning? Is that just who you guys are? I think it's who we are. I mean, I I think a lot of people are like that, uh, yeah. but. But, I'm a coward myself,
1: but oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, I well, but I, I I do think there was this idea that was uh, current in those years that everybody should be nice to one another mm-hmm. because this whole literature thing that we've got going mm, it's in decline, right? Yeah. So um, we need to just be nice to one another and try to promote this literature thing and you know m- make sure people know that literature is good for them. Yeah. Um, and maybe they'll throw a few bucks our way. And, you know, we came kind of separate in, from separate directions. Um, I came from a kind of disputatious Russian tradition. Um, the yelling tradition. Yelling at one. Yeah. 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 That was, um, my sister had a girlfriend who was English and, uh, she always found it very disturbing to have dinner uh you know with the family in moscow because there was just a lot of noise and yelling and yeah. that was just yeah and um you know marco came marco roth came from kind of new york jewish disputatious tradition and um mark came from a uh, uh, you know his tradition so so we we all were and uh, you know came from these traditions where arguments were a good thing and especially arguments about literature. Yeah. I mean, what, what are you going to argue about if not about the thing that's the most important
0: thing in the world, which is literature? It's interesting because I had never, I met you this year. This is the first time I I had met you. And I remember I I, I followed you during those years. And I was like, wow, these guys are some fucking uh, like aggro dudes. Like they're like, they're out there starting some fights. And then when I met you and it's sort of the way that like, you know, when you're doing like chat with someone on the computer and someone will say something and you're kind of like, whoa, that was kind of harsh. And you're like, maybe the tone's wrong. I can't really tell. Like when I met you in person, you kind of have a sense of humor about it. But, like, when you read that stuff, it's kind of like, wow, this guy wants to fucking, like, murder the editorial staff of McSweeney's.
1: No, yeah, well, do you, I, I, mean, I do didn't you, write that. Yeah. But do,
0: do you, <laughs> like, I totally understand the urge to ruffle the feathers, but was there ever th- any thought that that was going to sort of overshadow what the work you were producing? Or is that built into the work you're producing?
1: Um, well, you know, I mean to be fair, to the magazine, I mean, yeah. the the idea was always we would have this short stuff up front sure. that was really um, angry and d- denouncing of everyone and then we would have this longer stuff in the, in the middle of the art of the um, magazine that was deeper and longer and um, still uh, capable of, you know, still polemical at times, huh. right? But... Um, less focused on uh you know the kind of intramural intellectual arguments right yeah. um so uh,
0: you know but but it, it was never
1: supposed to be never supposed to be personal right yeah. um but it is i mean it everything's is. Of course personal it is. And, 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 so yeah it's hard i mean you know you, you want to say look i th- this person's a nice person but i think their work is shit and and yeah. not only do i think it's shit i think it's evil right yeah. um but if the, I met the person, I'm sure nice person, you know, if they are a nice person, then, yeah. you know, I would I would uh, relate to them as a nice person.
0: Right. Even yeah. as I. Uh, it's great. It's, it's something I like. I like in, in talking to you because like I'm, I'm not I don't write like I. So I'm like if I wrote, I'd be like, I bet that guy hates my writing. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's great. But it's great. Yeah. Like going out there and not being a writer. You can just be like, yeah, he hates lots of other people's <laughs> writing. But it's probably cool with me. Um, yeah. So when you start a project like that, I mean, I'm I'm sort of thinking about the models of publications that you talked about that were closing. Do, is that a forever project when you when you start something like that? Are you it's are you it's steward, uh into eternity? How long did you as as thirty year old guys um, starting a journal and, and talking a pretty big game and 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 saying this is important this you should subscribe you should make this a part of your your reading how long did you expect to to do it
1: uh we thought 10 years we thought 10 issues or 10 years and that was the maximum
0: and you're at how many issues
1: now we're at uh, 15 issues and uh 8 years 8 years yeah so um and but and and in fact we were right i mean 10 years is that's generous
0: that's just it's a long fucking time that's a
1: long time yeah and we are the sort of founding editors are slowing yeah. down we're not mad at anyone anymore yeah um we think everything's great yeah. um i think martin amos has described this um he has a kind of a taxonomy of of uh, book reviewers, you know, yeah. it's the angry young person, and then the kind of accommodating middle-aged person, and then
0: at the end, uh, a burbling satisfaction with all that exists. <laughs> and, it's kind and, of it's kind of like a pick-up a basketball game, where at first you, like, you know, your young guys are doing hard fouls, and, like, getting into fist fights, and then at a certain point, you're just, like, happy to be there, and then you're, like, only playing one out of every two games, and...
1: Yeah, well, that ha- and that happens uh, to you as a writer, and Yeah, you just you just can't be as upset about these things anymore. Whether it's because you have uh, become friends with some of these people, or you just can't, you're just thinking about other things. Um, But amazingly, Mm -hmm. at N plus one, we've had this younger generation.
0: Kind of rise up. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you like recruit like um, angry young men to take your to, to fill your shoes? Well, angry young women, actually. Yeah, I've noticed that actually yes. over there. Yeah.
1: So um, just in the past few years, it, it used to be uh, when we were starting out, young people would come to us, and um, for whatever reason, we didn't have room for them, or we were actually too close to them in age, and they would soon leave in anger yeah um and that was kind of the pattern for 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 the first few years and then you know about a year ago year and a half ago um it became the case that that either the organization was was big enough or we were kind of more absent enough or something has has created space for for younger editors to to come in and be really angry um and you know in the in the just the most recent issue, there was a denunciation of uh, Harper's and The Atlantic that, yeah, it was, and The that... Paris Review. And frankly, um,
0: you know, I couldn't I couldn't care less. Well, and you must have um, numerous friends at every one of those publications. Yeah, especially Harper's. Look, if you don't have any friends at some of those places, you might at some point be pitching people at those places. I mean, it's certainly possible. Do you. I'm impressed that you, that you're able to be such a um, serene old man. Like, do you, when you see something like that, are you like, Oh, hold on guys. Like, let's, let's not go too far here.
1: No, I mean, well, certainly that, that impulse was there and, and,
0: um for had, people for people who are looking this is the letters from the editor of the most re- is this is the most recent and plus one yeah this is issue 15, 15. Uh,
1: you know we began with these denunciations of other magazines that was an issue one we denounced yeah. the new republic and mcsweeney's and the weekly standard
0: that was what we began with and then you know recently you know was we the were, 10-year plan to, mapped to get every single magazine over 10 years th- <laughs> three or four magazines denounced in each issue
1: uh well yeah that would that would have covered all of them but yeah. but over time we became you know uh less interested in that stuff how do you feel about mad magazine <laughs> great magazine great magazine we did we did denounce there was a moment where we denounced Heeb and you know we denounced the jewish magazine juicy the other juicy one yes yeah. oh yeah yeah but then they all Tablet. closed they all closed except Heeb hebe is going strong yeah good for them um Anyway, yeah, but so, yeah, so these younger editors yeah. have come up and, 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 um, they're still really angry about all this stuff and it's just
0: great. Do you, do you want to like, do you want to tell them or anything or you want to just like let things run their course?
1: Oh, no, I think, I think that's great. I want to yeah. hold on to that. I yeah. Mean, that's holy. That's the thing that makes great writing. Yeah. Um, it's being angry. That's,
0: <laughs> that's, uh, uh, of, of the founders, um, Ben Kunkel has come out with a couple, not one novel, and um, indecision. And Chad Harbach um, did *Art of Fielding*, very well-known novel. So people have, in certain ways, um, moved on to to to. I wouldn't say bigger things, but things that they may be known for. Chad Chad is probably known as the the author of *The Art of Fielding* more than he's known as a, as a founder of N plus one. Is that something you want to sort of follow you forever, or do you do you see um, at some point emerging and, and, and leaving it behind.
1: Leaving N plus one behind.
0: Yeah. I mean, you've done and you too. You've done um, a bunch of pretty big features for the New Yorker, you know, like uh, when I told my mother that you're going to be on the podcast, I described a you hear New Yorker story and she's like, Oh yeah, yeah that guy. I know that. I know who that guy is. And um, you oh. know, w- how does it feel going into our shitty office building um, and, and working with young, young, angry people every day? Oh, well, you know, um,
1: I love N plus one. Yeah, I think it's great.
0: You know, I mean, the, the the moral of the
1: story of the young people coming up is means that it can live mm-hmm. maybe another ten years.
0: Yeah. Um, so you've you've reset. You you've moved the chains. Yeah. 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 That's First great. down. That's gotta feel good. I mean, that's an accomplishment in sort of its own right to uh, to just to endure. Yeah. 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 I'm impressed like in talking with you and sometimes I felt like guilty about this afterwards. Like I'm, I'm an, am a man from the internet. I come from the internet. The internet is a place of, uh, gigantic numbers, but you're producing a, uh, a magazine for a passionate but limited audience. I mean, you, you pour your heart out, um, for these issues, that I, I I won't ask you to cite exactly circulation numbers, but they're in the, the in the four digits, I would guess, probably. They're in the high four. High digits. four digits. Um, whereas when you do a, a piece for the New Yorker, that probably is viewed, you know, more in the six to seven digits, um, if it's on the web, say, um, you know, in two thousand and four. That that if, if I told you, hey, you're gonna you're gonna get close to hitting that fifth digit, that probably would have felt pretty good I would think to to get this kind of material out but it is it is small in the context of of sort of mass media and the web
1: yeah and and you know we don't we want it to be bigger yeah that's what we that's why I go in there every day and that's what we're doing in there every day is trying to we want to produce the stuff but we also want to get it out to a wide audience Um, and I think we could be so we're we print 8,000 copies now I'd like to print 20,000
0: How do you find that those new N plus one fans, how do you find that next generation who's, who's younger than you?
1: We, we try uh, everything. Yeah. Well, not everything. I mean, you know, our, our resources limited, but obviously the, the web is, is a good way to find them. Yeah. Um, There's problems with finding people on the web. Sometimes uh, they are more loyal to their aggregators than they yep. are to their content producers. No, no comment. No comment. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, of course. So, you know, that's a that's a, a kind of you, you, you want to be aggregated. Yeah. Right. Um you want the link from long form or yeah. AL Daily. Yeah. Um, but you also want to make sure people know where they get the good stuff. Uh-huh. you know, and yeah. um so I think the internet, I think you, there's still some outlets or writing about literature mm-hmm. um, in in newspapers. Uh, yeah. The New York Times still occasionally does this. So we're always trying to get stuff in the press. Uh, we have a lot of events so people can come to the events and, and learn about it. Um, you know, you got to just keep hustling all the time.
0: I've seen you guys out in the back when the truck comes in unloading a new issue. Um, and this is like a, it's a, it's a, it's a real sight to behold. The truck shows up with boxes of N plus one and they cart them up here and unbox them. W- why, why continue to print N plus one? Um, in, in that mission that you just described, uh, of building that base, certainly easier and more efficient and cheap to get new people online. What, what drives the, uh, the print i well
1: I would say I would say three things first of all, we used to um until just a few months ago we used to drive to the printer and pick up the N-plus one so when the truck pulled up, that was truck driven by one oh, of that, our I only, employees. only saw the very end of that yes. uh, interchange. So, yeah yeah uh, it's possible that we were driving the truck that pulled yeah. up and we unloaded it um it, you know and and it's fun to do that it's fun yeah. to hold the thing in your hands mm-hmm. um frankly, you know we're publishing stuff that's twelve. 14,000 words long Um, I read a lot of stuff online but when it gets to that length I'm not reading it online I'm reading it I'm printing it out right so um, why not let us print it out for you Yeah. Uh, it's still pretty cheap to print stuff it's not expensive to Mm. print we're not spending a ton of money on printing
0: and it's not like a heavily designed magazine where you guys have layout artists or anything it's pretty text based we
1: we have a very good designer but yeah, yeah it's we don't it's in black and white So that keeps the price way down. Um, You know, it costs $2 an issue basically to print it. It's cheap, Uh, especially when you're in the kind of where we are uh, in the number that we're printing. So it's not expensive. It's also the only thing that we can recoup uh, any money on, right? So if we actually want to keep employing people um, and and paying our writers a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, and we're we're trying to pay them more, uh, print still is people are willing to pay for it yeah they are not paying us for the stuff on the web
0: so you haven't you haven't seen traction in selling sort of digital access to n plus one at this point
1: um we are selling um a growing a growing proportion of the subscribers are digital subscribers uh but still it's pretty you know it's uh 15%. 15%. So so yeah, it's growing, but it's still not the whole thing. Um I mean I, you know, there's still going to be for the next I don't know how many years, 50, 40, yeah. 30, people who prefer to read stuff on paper. 50 years? Uh <laughs> well, I don't know how long am I going to be alive, right? <laughs> yeah. Um I mean I, you know, I yeah. still, you know, it's just more relaxing to sit yeah. on the couch and read something on paper. So, um, you know, while for, for the moment the economics of it makes sense. Um, you know, we're trying to get it out and we'll, we'll get it to you in any kind of channel that you prefer. You just run
0: it over to my house if I pay enough, just hand delivery. Yeah. Aside. We will do, do, yeah, we do do it. We will get it to you. We'll get it to you. So, um, probably I'm guessing that like writing for the New Yorker is more lucrative than working at N plus one also. So is this sort of like a, a total labor of love for you right now or?
1: Oh, um, no, yeah, I, well, I, I, I do love N plus one. Um, you know writing for the New Yorker is not as lucrative yeah. as you might think. Well, you know it just, it just takes a long time to write one of those.
0: Pieces. I would I would think so. What what is when you're doing those pieces, I assume those pieces are kind of difficult to pitch because you're kind of, you know, you're parachuting into a, you know, a, a zone that you might I'm assuming that you didn't have like extensive knowledge of Kazakhstan, say, before you reported there. Well, what's the process like uh, pitching a piece where you're going to Kazakhstan, say?
1: I f- learned when I was a staff writer at New York Magazine that pitching stuff to editors is um, in a way it's kind of hopeless Um, because as a writer you just don't know what editors are thinking (laughs) Um, and you'll never know what they're thinking and so with the New Yorker um, they sent me to Kazakhstan and they sent
0: me to the Arctic Did you know what the story was going in, or they're just like Kazakhstan story?
1: Yeah, they're like, go to Kazakhstan. And, you know, I mean, uh, they wanted a story about the new capital of Kazakhstan, right? With the Arctic, they wanted a story about um, economic change in the Arctic. So so there's a kind of vague, uh, you know, outline, and then you have to fill it in. Yeah. Um, With uh, Moscow traffic, that was a story I pitched numerous times. And they were like, this doesn't sound like a story that's going to work. Can understand where they're coming from. I guess. But no, I can't. <laughs> and, and so I just did it. Yeah. Um, oh, and, you did it? Yeah. And I mean, I, I've done that a few times where I. I just thought, I, you know, you, you, you can ask for permission all you want. You yeah. might never get permission, and if you think it's a good idea, you just do it, and then you send it to them. And sometimes it works. And well,
0: that's interesting. So, how how long did you spend on that Moscow traffic piece? Pro I bono. Spent a, I spent a. That's about not a, a short year. story. I yeah. spent a
1: year. I mean, I actually, I actually flew back to Moscow several times uh, to
0: to kind of do more reporting on it. So, what happens if the New Yorkers like, eh, "We were kind of right. We're not into Moscow traffic."
1: Then you know I publish it uh on my blog
0: um is that like a is that so that's a gamble for you i mean that's a that's a that's a year down the tubes if that were to happen uh yeah, i mean it's not the only thing I did only, during yeah. that year um it's a huge investment though um, yeah, personally uh,
1: yeah no but I don't know i mean it's it's um Descent used to have a a nice little note for contributors and it said uh you know." if you want to write a piece, just write it because otherwise we're going to have this long correspondence about it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and as, you know, as an editor, N plus one, well, you know, sometimes it's, it's good to have a conversation about it before, but yeah. most of the time, um, cause, cause certain subjects I just know we're not interested in. Right. You know, and I could tell you that in advance. Um, but, uh, a lot of the time, you know, it can be a subject that we're interested in, but it all depends on how you write it up.
0: Yeah. We never even talked about the fact that you've written a book, which, um, I will, will be in the show notes. we will put a link to it. Um, all the sad young literary men. Um, yes. did I get that right? I think so. Um, as someone who has published now some, some fiction and some nonfiction, what, uh, what, uh, what excites you going forward?
1: Oh, um, I'd like to write, uh, some more fiction. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to keep doing both those things and trying to, um, you know, get buy some health insurance.
0: Yeah, that's a good. I like. I think we can all agree. Let's get some health insurance. That's a good. It's a good note to to close on. It's a uh,
1: dangerous world out there.
0: Totally. One, you know, you're out in Russia. You really need some health insurance, I'm Anywhere if you're on your
1: bike in Brooklyn. Yeah, oh, anything. Yeah, can totally.
0: Happen. Um thank you very much, Keith guesson for coming in. It's been a pleasure. The the newest N plus one is uh on the newsstands. Did you say it? On the newsstands? It sure is. Yep. Uh, what's what's the title? What's the uh, what's the theme of the most recent one? Amnesty. Amnesty. Pick it up. Hot off the press is Amnesty. Uh thanks, Keith. Thank you. And that was the Longform Podcast. Thank you very much to my co-hosts, Max Linsky and Evan Ratliff. Uh, thanks to Keith Gessen for walking the 17 feet down the hallway to come tape this. Our editor is Lauren Kirchner. Our intern is Sarah Amandolare, who uh, gave me invaluable notes uh, so that I could stalk Keith Gessen's whole life. Uh, we'll be back here next week. Check us out on iTunes. Check us out on Instacast. Check us out on Stitcher.